0: You're listening to audio from the town center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. And the angel answered, your, prayer, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa uh, to bring back a, nam, a man named Simon, who goes by Peter. He is, staying, he is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house was by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devoted soldier who was one of his attendants and told him everything that, would, that had had to happen and sent them to Joppa. About noon, about noon the following day, they were on their journey and approaching the city. Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet bring down, uh, sorry, he saw a large sheet being let down to earth by its, by four corners, and it contained all kinds of four rooted, four footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never uh, eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to the heavens. You guys can take a seat.
1: Let's pray together. God, we want to welcome you into this moment this morning. A moment that brings with it uh, everything we've carried this week. Uh, Some of us have had arguments in our cars on the way here. Some of us have had issues at work this week. Uh, Some of us have bills we don't know how we're going to pay this week. And so whatever it is that we come with, I pray you would meet us where we are. I pray that as we as we open up um, the revealed Word of God to us this morning, you would speak to us, you would encourage us, you would challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, welcome, everybody. For those of you who don't know, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I, I had a great... Morning at the door this morning, seeing a, a lot of faces I haven't seen for a while. Very excited uh, to see you guys out at church. Excited to continue in the message uh, in the series that we've been walking through over the last uh, month and a bit. For those of you who don't know, we've been walking through the book of Acts, more properly uh, named the Acts of the Apostles, meaning the actions of the Apostles, meaning those who were friends of Jesus, who knew Jesus, who saw Jesus live, die, be resurrected, burst out of the grave. Those people, how did they respond? How did they go into the world after that? And so I've been saying over the last few weeks that the church was fueled by the truth of the resurrection, it was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And and announce Jesus' cosmic reign from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. How long does the church do that for? Yeah, I threw that right out there. It's not rhetorical. I'm ready for an answer. How long should the church be doing all this for? Until he returns. So that means that you and I, as I said last week, are now in chapter 29 of Acts. We are living out the rest of the story until Christ returns. Return. This event that, uh, that Angie read to us this morning from Acts 10, it's one of the, actually, one of the most significant events uh, in salvation history. Oh, I know you were all thinking that while it was being read to you. Were like, this is one of the most significant events in salvation history, and we're reading about it right now. You were all thinking that. I know it. But God is trying to teach his followers to draw outside the lines. They have a very specific um, idea of what God's salvation looks like. And in this event, he's trying to teach Peter specifically and and then the church at large that they need to learn to draw outside the lines. Uh, Some of you are familiar with adult coloring books a really relaxing coloring book for adults. Fantastic animals. Well, and I like the title of this last one here. So the next one, Art Therapy. Now, how many of you, how many of you use these books? Yeah. You know what? There's way more than that. You know why? Because it's a booming industry. So you guys are lying. Some of you are coloring in these books and that's okay. You know why? Because they're therapy. They're really relaxing, why do you think books like this, look at the artwork, why do you think books like this are relaxing? What's that? Cathartic? Yeah? Simple achievements. Oh, I like that. I like that. You're, ki- you're kind of in control. There's a set boundary. There's, now, I don't know if this might be news to you. Some people feel like their lives are out of control. I'm, people out there. Not here. But some people feel like often things are out of their control. Relationships are hard to hold on to properly. Um, the, their finances can be up and down. We have surprises in our house. We had a, a furnace and a water tank go pretty much simultaneously. We dealt with that two weeks ago. We all have things like that in our lives. Things that we just don't feel like we have control. We want something that we can control. So art like this makes a lot of sense, we have small achievements that make us feel a little bit better, and the chaotic uh, can actually make beauty out of what might uh, bring, be chaotic. What about artwork like this? Now, this is a personal piece, so please don't... That's what most of our lives feel like. <laughs> If we were to put it down on paper, we understand there's boundaries somewhere that kind of there might be beauty in there, but our life kind of feels more like this. And we want to kind of keep things structured. So a lot of us will do different things in our lives to make us feel like we're in control. It might be uh, a moral life that we that we kind of look at and go, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I'm feeling pretty good about that. It might be about gaining power, a power position, getting recognition. But we want, and we put rules in our lives. We put um, different practices. I get up at this time. I have my coffee ready to go. I smell the coffee before I'm out of bed. That's my favorite. And then you get up and you're going to read for a little bit before the family gets up. It gets all noisy and chaotic. Personal story. But things like that are often therapeutic. And often in our lives, we try to find um, rules that we put in place to kind of keep things comfortable and orderly. Many of us do this. Peter had all sorts of things in his life, all sorts of beliefs, whether they be religion, uh, ideology, cultural ideology. And he was taught to draw lines and he was supposed to live within them and not to wander. This is what the Jewish people believed. Lines had been drawn and you ought to live within those. It was comfortable and it was soothing and it gave identity. It was comfortable and it was safe. It's where things made sense. But in the episode that we just read this morning, and we'll unpack a bit, tells Peter, tells you and I, that when it comes to the lines and when it comes to the comfort that we often say we have, our picture is far too small. The gospel would say the pit, our, our picture is far too small, and the colors aren't as vibrant as the colors that God would want us to use to portray the beauty of the gospel. The true story of Jesus means that, that our pictures are often too small and they need to be expanded. And, and so that's the first thing that I think we can learn from this story and that Peter is learning. Our picture of the gospel can be far too small. Listen, Peter was aware. Peter knew what uh, what Jesus had told him, what he had told the apostles, his close friends, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That means Peter first, it's, I'm going to make it easy on you. For, well, not easy. But you're going to do it in Jerusalem where you're comfortable. You know kind of all the rules. Uh, you're going to speak from Jew to Jew. You're going to tell them that Jesus is the Messiah they've been waiting for. But then it's going to get a little more difficult Peter then you're going to go to Samaria you know the people that you're actually racist against you know those people that you call half Jews and you don't like them well you're going to then go there and tell them about Jesus and then after that then you're going to go out to the entire world people who who look different who speak differently have different beliefs and you're going to tell them about the gospel and you're going to tell them the good news and so to prepare Peter To prepare the rest of the church, because Peter will go in chapter 11 to explain all of this to the church. God gives Peter this very interesting vision. And for those of us unfamiliar with kind of a Jewish culture and religious culture of Judaism, this vision of animals, and even Peter doesn't get it at first, might seem strange. Animals that made Peter uncomfortable. Animals he did not hang out with. Animals that he probably had never even seen some of these animals before. Um, he had been taught that they were unclean. They were uneatable. They were unfamiliar. And they were coming, it says in verse 11, that they were coming down from heaven. Now that's interesting. They're coming down from heaven. That, that is significant in itself, in Matthew chapter eight, when Jesus is—excuse me—in yeah, Matthew chapter six, when Jesus is teaching his friends how they ought to pray, he says, "Pray this." In in six verse ten, pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, Peter, this is the way it is in heaven. This is coming down from heaven. This is this has a a, a heavenly meaning behind it. The animals are lowered. It also says. By four corners. Anytime you hear the phrase four corners in the ancient world, it meant it's including the whole world. There's a symbolism of the whole world being included. And and some of you will remember when we went through Revelations, they talked about the four corners being represented. That meant everything in the world is coming down. And Peter is confused. (laughs) And he's, he's challenged. What could this possibly mean? This sheet, the, the, the word in the Greek actually means like a, the fabric of a sail on a ship. It's being let down with four corners, full of animals that he would never associate with. And he'd never hang out with people who did associate with them. And so he's being challenged. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's thinking maybe at first it's just about food. He's thinking religiously. These are things I stay away from because I'm a clean Jew. I stay, uh, I stay ritually pure. I'm not going to go near these things. He's thinking within the lines. And he says, surely not. Now, you got some guts to say that to the voice of God who's giving you a vision. Well, surely not. Wow. Animals in the sheet that were, that were against Jewish law to eat. And here's the thing. The, the issue of food and, and purity, it was a big deal with Jews, and it still is. But it's not just about having a good diet. It's not just about, you know, paying attention to detail. There were matters of identity of being Jewish. You don't eat those things because you're Jewish. And it helps you stand out. It was about having zeal for God's law. And it was about having courage in the face of the Greeks and the Romans to say, you will not force me to eat that because God has told me I will not. So it's, it really isn't about food. But Peter believed he had every reason, theologically, culturally, ideologically, to stay away from people like Cornelius. And God was preparing his heart for that. Let's look at Cornelius. Cornelius was what's called a centurion, living in Caesarea, a very Roman, named after Caesar, a very Roman city. Caesarea. He's a Roman military man. Uh, He probably, as a centurion, was in charge from anywhere from 300 to 600 soldiers. In order to get to that position, he would have had to be in the military for 15 to 20 years. He's traveled all over uh, the known world. He was a representative of the power and the burden of Rome. If I was to say to you, what what is a symbol for you of the power or the burden of our culture, you could all come up with different things that you've seen posted online. We, we all have our own things that we consider a burden of our society and a burden of our culture trying to be an influence. But for some reason, this guy, Cornelius, he has not, brought into, he has not bought into the propaganda of Rome. He's a Roman centurion, but he's like, nah, I'm not into that. <laughs> It's interesting. As part of the Roman legion, he would have traveled all over the known world. He would have been engaged with all the different gods that the Roman centurions would have engaged with as they conquered different areas. All the gods of Rome, Jupiter, and Venus, they would have all been pushed on him. But he looked into them all, and he found them all wanted. They did not satisfy something in him. And now he finds himself perched in the Holy Land, perched in in first-century Palestine, and engages with the belief of the Jewish God. but Starts understanding and reading a bit more about Yahweh, and he thinks, no, this sounds like truth. And for him, it eliminated the possibility of any other God. And in verse 22, it tells us that he was respected by the Jews in his community. He is a respected man. Not only that, he seems to have found favor in God. When it talks about him um, giving up his, um, I'm trying to find the exact words here. Come on now, can't find it. Anyway, when he talks about uh, giving, giving an offering up, that, that his life is, and his giving to the poor is like an offering up to God. That's the kind of life he was living. Finding favor in God. And it's interesting, he's the only Gentile in Scripture, in in Luke and Acts work, to ever receive a vision or a visit from an angel. He's the only one. And he's told to send some of his people to, to Joppa to find a dude named Simon Peter. Now, this is a confusing text. Go find Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon. Sorry, how many Simons are in this story, angel? Okay, well, you know what, let's just call Simon, the first Simon, let's call him Peter, because that's easier. And then the other guy staying with is Simon the Tanner. Now, I love that detail. Don't go over that. What does that tell you? That tells you that Luke's not making up a story. If you're going to make up a story, just switch the names up a little bit. You can't come up with another name. The other thing is that if you look at the history of first century Palestine, Simon was the most common name among Jews. And it's not surprising then, (laughs) His people come, they look for Peter, they find him, and they bring Peter to Caesarea to speak to Cornelius and his family. Now, why is this an important story for us? What does that mean for you and I today? Sitting here comfortably in uh, our theater this morning. Well, because often the modern church suffers from the same issues that Peter suffered from, with the same kind of mindsets, Happy with the same kind of comforts, drawing some lines and saying, this is what it looks like to belong to God. See, Peter didn't understand his vision until later on, but you and I have perspective of this whole story this morning. He learned that God's picture is often, his his picture of the gospel is often bigger than we think. God's vision for the gospel is much bigger than we think. It's big enough. It's big enough for what? It's big enough to include all people, all backgrounds, all problems, all struggles, all doubts. All the ones you have and all the ones your friends and your loved ones have. The gospel is big enough for that. God was inviting Peter to bring the gospel, the historic story of Jesus who lived, performed miracles, died and rose from the dead to the Gentiles. Those who were considered outside the lines. Those who were considered outside of God's view. And so he makes his way to Cornelius' house. And he gives them... The full story. He lays out the gospel for them. There's another long uh, section of text that I'm going to read to you. Verses 34 to 48. He goes to the house and, and he's got a full house. They're ready to listen. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. But he accepts from every nation the ones who fear him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know that his, this happening throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. So he's basically re, retelling the entire, the, the Gospels. Uh, the Holy Spirit and the power and how he went around doing good and healing all those were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses being the apostles, of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. And, and we learn elsewhere in Scripture that he was seen by, by over 500 people. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then God doesn't even let Peter finish his message. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who were heard the message. The Jewish, Peter's like, hey, I'm in the middle of something here. And the Holy Spirit comes. The Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished at the gift that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Even on those outside the line. Even on those we always considered God would ignore and were outside of God's view. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Some people, some scholars call this the Gentile Pentecost they're having the same experience. And then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. That last statement is actually extremely beautiful. Then these Romans, then this Roman centurion, invited Peter, to stay with them for two days ago, Peter would have said, surely not, Lord. Surely, surely I would not hang out with these Gentiles. They don't understand about ritual washing. They don't understand about the kind of food I eat. They have different culture, a different understanding. I have food restrictions that they don't even care about. It would be such a hassle to hang out. Two days ago, Peter would not have said yes to this. But now... Peter's mind has been expanded by the gospel. Giving the gospel to to Cornelius. He's that Cornelius has been welcomed into the kingdom. and, and, And now they live in communion. That is the beautiful story of the gospel. That's the beautiful community that Jesus died to create. That everyone is welcome in to be the church that Jesus died to create. And in order for the church to be the church that Jesus died to create, we need to remember these words from C.S. Lewis. He said this. He said, next to the blessed sacrament, your neighbor is the holiest object present to your senses. Next time you see that neighbor who plays the music loud, who cusses up a storm when you're trying to put the kids down, next to the blessed sacrament, your neighbor is the holiest object present to your senses. Doesn't seem holy. <laughs> this is how the early church provided its culture with a new vision for community. That uh, a new community could be created with, that welcomed in different languages and, and people from different geographical backgrounds and even different political backgrounds became a multi-ethnic, multi-language, multi-opinion, yet unified in the truth of the gospel community. I tell you, the world needs that. Galatians 3.28 says there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither those who think they're in and those who are not in. There's neither slave nor free. There's not above or below. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, many of us will ask the question, does that mean that we can just believe whatever we want and still be a part of the kingdom? Well, that wasn't Cornelius. No. Cornelius was devout. He, he, he loved God. He had reverence for God's revelation. He wasn't asking for Christianity on his own terms. He feared God. He, he had reverence. He was ready to give up his power and authority and comfort for the gospel. Imagine what it would have meant for a Roman centurion who's given 20 years of service and ruling over soldiers and having influence over them to say, you know what? Caesar isn't king of kings and lord of lords. This Jewish peasant, from the backwoods of the Roman Empire that everyone laughs off, he's actually king of creation. What would that have done to Cornelius' life? Believe me, word would have got out. (laughs) Word would have got out that the Roman centurion, who in the past used to give incense to Caesar daily, was now worshiping Jesus and calling him Christ. Christ. Cornelius came to give up himself for the gospel. Now, for you and I as Christ followers, as those in agreement with the gospel, as a church that, that repeats over and over and over what we have come to call the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28... It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. For those of us who, who call our, this our church or, or call some church our church, who call Jesus our Savior, who say, yes, that is, that is my mission statement, we need to ask ourselves some very important questions. Who do we believe is beyond God's grace? Now, if you're honest, someone will come to your mind. <laughs> who have you thought is beyond God's grace? Who do we believe is beyond the gospel? Who's outside the lines for you? It would be nice if this was just a Peter problem. <laughs> Alexander White, who was a 19th century Scottish preacher, he challenged his congregation with these words. It's a fairly long quote, but he says, Also like ourselves, speaking of Peter, we're just like him. For how we also bundle up whole nations of people and throw them into that same unclean sheet. Whole churches that we know nothing about but their bad names that we have given them are in our sheets of excommunication also. All the other denominations of Christians in our land are common and unclean to us. Every party outside our own party in the political state also. We have no langu- language contemptuous enough wherewith to describe their wicked ways and their self-seeking schemes. They are four-footed beasts and creeping things. Indeed, there are very few alive, and especially those who live near us, who are not something in, sometimes in the sheet of our scorn, unless it is one here and one there of our own family or school or party. And they also come under our scorn in our contempt the moment they have a mind of their own and interests of their own and affections and ambitions of their own that that could be written today i do have to point out look at that fantastic neck beard on <laughs> i can't wait till that comes back i will be all over that <laughs> his words if they were updated a bit could be written about these last few years do you ever write off whole churches because of what you've heard about them? Do you ever write off entire ethnic groups because of preconceptions or bad experiences? (laughs) Do you ever mentally excommunicate those who do not agree with you on secondary issues? If God was to expose your heart right now, what would be in that sheet as it comes down? Out of heaven. That you and I would say, you, would, you and I would look at it and go, by no means, Lord. The, the, the gospel's not big enough for that. I have lived my whole life in friction with that person, with that group. I have lived my whole life fighting against that kind of ideology. There, there cannot be room in your kingdom for that. Well, I'll tell you what, a lot of the New Testament is is Paul and Peter and others of the apostles fighting to keep a church like that together that's made up of all sorts of different people. And what a boring church it would be if we all just agreed. If we didn't have some things to grow us, some things where the, the, the fruits of the Spirit can grow in our lives, like love and patience and kindness and goodness, those come from friction. Those come from difficulties. So here's the thing. This thing we need to keep in mind is quite fascinating. Peter was praying when he had this vision. So, guys, he's praying and he has a vision that he says, surely not, Lord. It is possible to have a beautiful attitude towards God and a lousy heart towards those whom Jesus died to save. And (laughs) many of us, maybe, if we've admired someone We've had our hearts shudder a little bit when we we've thought we've thought they were a certain way. Of, Man, this person, I've, I've read their books. I've, and then you'll see a tweet or you'll meet them in person and they go, and it all deflates. It is possible to have a beautiful attitude towards God and a lousy heart towards those whom Jesus died to save. Many of us learned that very quickly during COVID. Many of us have learned that very quickly during uh, political exchanges online. The the church can look like we are suffering from multiple personality disorder at times. We'll post something of a beautiful mountain, say, "God is sovereign," and then the next thing, we're like, because of your views, the whole world's going to fall apart. Posting pictures. <laughs> Posting things that just, they, they don't work together for those who are going to live within the gospel. James 3, verses 9 to 10 says this. I don't, it doesn't, hey? It does, I promise. But it'll say it here. James 3, 9 to 10 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We need to be very careful. We must not draw lines that God has not drawn. Kent Hughes, a New Testament theologian, says, In Christ there's no basis for discrimination of any kind. Prejudice or elitism on the lips of a believer is an obscenity. For it is by grace that we've been saved. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's by grace you've been saved through faith it's not from yourselves it's a gift of god not by works that so no one can boast romans 3:27 to 28 where then is boasting it's excluded because of what law the law that requires works no because of the law that requires faith for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law see in this story we're not actually peter we're cornelius we're the ones that got to come into this beautiful story that Jesus purchased for us. So two things I would say to you this morning. First, this tells us that it, if you're wondering if you're welcome into the family of God, whatever your background is, whatever label you've walked around with, whatever you've felt your identity has been, whether you've, you've, it's self-talk or someone else has imposed it on you, if you're wondering, can you come into the lines, can you be within the family of God, the cross rips those lines apart and says, absolutely, the answer is yes. I don't care what you walked in here with. I don't care what you dealt with this week. I don't care what your past is. The gospel says, yes, there is room for you here. And as a Christ follower, if you're wondering, as you look at others, is there room for them in God's kingdom, the answer is always yes. So who's on your mind right now? <laughs> I got them. I got people on my mind. <laughs> I got people in my mind that I've said they surely they are outside the lines. Surely the gospel is not big enough. I got people in that sheet being lowered from heaven and saying, "This is what it looks like for heaven to be on earth." Get at work to create this community. There is room. There's room for you and I to be conduits of God's grace, the voice of Christ and the love of God in them. It's time for you and I to learn to draw outside the lines. It's difficult, it's messy, and it's the church. Let's pray. God, I I want to invite your spirit to do a work in our hearts and minds this morning. And I'm going to ask that you would forgive us. Forgive us for not allowing your love to flow, to fill us and flow out of us into others. For refusing at times to to love and win those who we deem dirty. Those we've decided are unworthy. Those we've decided are an impossible case, a lost cause. Maybe those who've hurt us or we think are beneath us. Remind us that we were once lost. We were once blind, but now we have been found. Now we see. We were once thought. We were once those who were on the outside, and by your grace, you've invited us in and you've made it possible because of the blood of Christ who gave up everything to make a way into this global, eternal church. So God, if if you need to break through our pride this morning, please do so. If you need to conquer selfishness in us so that we can be conduits of that grace that you gave us, when you called us by name, do a work in us, we pray. And as those on the outside look at this community and they say, what in the world binds a community like that of people with different ethnic backgrounds, different political ideas, different views on COVID, and somehow they can gather together and worship a God and live in unity. May we point them to you, the completer, the perfecter of our faith. May we glorify you in the way we live in unity. May we glorify you as we continue to draw outside the lines by, by living out the great commission to teach the world of your love and your grace and invite them to follow you as disciples until you come again. We pray this in your name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of C.A. Church.